For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Budget Arcade, a free to <laughs> Hello and welcome to Budget Arcade. <laughs> All right, I'll leave it in. Hello and welcome to Budget Arcade, a free to play gaming podcast to help you navigate through the growing realm of free to play games. My name is Jeff. It's your boy Mark. It is my boy Mark, and each and every other week we play a free to play game and review it for you. But on these off weeks, Mark and I just get into a room and we sit there. And we wait for about 30 to 40 minutes, and then we put that on the internet. I'm in my favorite chair, ah. so I'm good. Let's go. Yeah, I, I'm in a chair, which is better than not having one. So uh, this week, we are going to be just kind of recapping and highlighting the new Netflix docuseries called High Score that came out a week or two ago. And this is actually uh, brought to my attention by a friend of the podcast, LaKendra. You can go check out her podcast. It's called I Just Want to Talk. Uh, it's part of the Imagineville Podcast Network, which is a network we are also part of. Ooh, you! Uh, that was a good plug. I like that. That was. Look, I'm I'm really good at this. Yeah, you are. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so, if you don't know, it's a uh, high score is a six part mini series, a documentary series covering video games from uh, basically from the Atari era. A little bit before the Atari era, up into uh, the super, late Super Nintendo round when Doom came out um, era of gaming. Uh, and it covers the people, the games they made, the creative process, and the stories behind it. Um, so Mark and I are just going to kind of pick some of the, the stories out. We're not going to do a full recap, but the ones that we enjoyed. And I'm going to let Mark go first. Yeah, so the... The first episode touches on uh, the origins of um, early arcade gaming. Uh, your your typical, um, you know, Pac Man, and mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things I thought was super interesting about this, and that this whole docu series was, if you're if you are a fan of video game history there are a lot of just little little factoids throughout this series that will kind of blow your mind and and one of the first ones that that comes to mind is that um the creator of 
Pac-Man was originally designed for women. It was geared towards yeah. It was yeah, it was geared it was geared towards uh the female gamer and it was meant to like just be this average, you know, hey, we're we're gearing this towards women. Um, you know, it's slower paced than your than uh your um well, your regular dismissal what was the uh was it Space Invaders was like Space the Invaders. part of the first one. Right, right, right. And so like it was fascinating to to see this unfold is that Pac-Man was just this, you know, placeholder title for for women and it just I agree. It completely it, it like took off. Women like pizza wasn't that yeah. the thing or I mean like <laughs> It was so ridiculous. I love Pac-Man. I think everyone does. Actually, I prefer Miss Pac-Man, which they get into a little bit. But I, yeah, I found that crazy too. I had no idea it was initially just like marketed towards women because Space Invaders was a boys game. <laughs> right. And so like, you know, so Pac-Man took off and, you know, the creator of Pac-Man, he's sitting in a pizza parlor and he sees this 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 pizza and it's got two slices missing and he's like yep that's my that's my main character of this game i want to create and and the rest is history but uh it was it this series and i love I, I i love watching people explain their their motivations behind things and especially mm-hmm. especially when it comes to uh video games and and something that the 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 first episode just bleeds into is is that you know there were people behind these games that they're the 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 70s and 80s were a crazy era for for just coming up with new stuff and you know the the simplistic art that bred video games is is crazy to me um, mm-hmm. you know, just these, Hey, we just want to create this thing that eats things. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to market it towards women and it's going to grow into this multi-million dollar mm-hmm. idea. And that, that's crazy to me. That's the, and fa- the white dots are cookies. So y- you have to use your imagination <laughs> playing these old Atari generation games and early arcade games. Yeah, no, it was, it, it the first episode is, and and I think I feel like that's that's uh that's something that Netflix does very well is that they they draw you in with a, a very uh you know with high score it's a it's a premise of video game history and mm-hmm. they they draw you in with these little known factoids of like you know the creator of Pac Man it's geared towards women and it, it grows into this and this unstoppable force. And then after that, it's every episode is, is geared towards di- something different. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, though, no, that was, that was my initial impression of, of this, the series was, holy crap. I didn't even know that, that, that was an, uh, a thing that, you know, um, yeah. And one of the stories, uh, that fascinated me a lot was actually on the last, uh, episode where, these guys were hacking the Game Boy to try to get it to do 3D. 
and they they he cracked it and got the sort of wireframe 3D to work on the Game Boy. Nintendo found it and uh, they thought they were going to get sued or shut down by Nintendo because you know. Uh, traditionally Nintendo doesn't like anyone touching their stuff. That's like, they're very protective and instead they get them to come up with a way to do 3d technology on the super Nintendo. And, you know, and one of the things the star Fox is sort of in our past and, and I've grown up with it and I forget that it is this groundbreaking piece of technology that, first home console games with polygons, you know, and it's like, wow. Uh, But one of the things I really liked was they were building the game, building the game, and they gave it to Miyamoto, who, if you don't know, is the creator of Mario and Zelda and Metroid and maybe Star Fox. (laughs) And Star Fox. Um, But he's like, I don't get it. You know, this isn't working. And he said, but we'll go home for Christmas and I'll come back with a solution. And they talk about these, these arches, that you walk under in Japan and he uses that for inspiration and, and kind of to back off of the, the, the guy who was just eating pizza and came up with Pac-Man, how simple inspiration can come from everyday things. And I thought that that uh, was cool. And he said, what if we put these things you fly through? So you don't have to worry about your left and right and your six, but just what's in front of you. Because for us gamers moving from 2d to 3d, that was maybe going to be a lot to ask and also is going to be a lot to ask of the programmers. So by sort of adding that barrier, it made the game work better. Well, I thought, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned Miyamoto's because one of the things I saw it and that was, it was in the last episode of, of this docuseries, which is six episodes, but the, what the, and to correct me if I'm wrong, Miyamoto died, right? No, you're thinking of uh, Iwata. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, Miyamoto was very, uh, you know, as far as we know, like the standard gamer knows is that he's this crazy, you know, he's got these just off the wall ideas and everything else is that. But like this, this series really painted him as a very simplistic, you know, thinker. Um he was just very he wasn't he wasn't really on board with the whole hey let's let's go out of our way to create this crazy new idea and you know for star fox at least and mm-hmm. and he you know he's like oh i love these arches uh and like you said it's a you know star fox drew its original inspiration from these the series of arches which is as far as i know like a hundred arches of just consecutive um walkway in japan and he was like yo let's let's fly a plane through these these arches and and it's like you know and i a so simplistic idea that could morph into this crazy fun game that mm-hmm. that that completely blows my mind yeah it's like don't overthink it right especially in the early parts of gaming it was just like just don't overthink it let's just make it fun um, so I, I kind of like bats bounce around, but that, what, what was the next thing that just comes to mind out of the docuseries that you remember? So, uh, going back to the early, uh, the early episodes of this, this, uh, this documentary is, um, I thought one thing that was super interesting was that Universal sued 
Nintendo of America over Donkey Kong. Um, and I, I had no idea. I had no idea that that even happened. I, I knew that that happened, but then they get into a creation of one of the iconic Nintendo oh, yeah. characters and where that character came from that I did not know and was fascinating. Yeah, by. so um, so uh, Nintendo hires a lawyer called, uh, his name is John Kirby, and to as their defense in this lawsuit over uh, copyright infringement over uh, Donkey Kong. And, um, you know, so Universal suing Nintendo of America over, over um, you know, their their use of the Kong character, the, the ape in Donkey Kong, saying that it, it completely uh, is a is a play on their uh, their own ownership of Donkey Kong, or I'm sorry, uh, King Kong, in mm-hmm. in uh, and so Universal is suing Nintendo of America, and John Kirby is this lawyer who is hired to represent Nintendo. And long story short, Nintendo wins um, their defense of uh, Donkey Kong, and so Nintendo and and real quick they're. Their defense was is that Universal doesn't even have rights to King Kong, right? Yeah. It's like you can't own that property. It doesn't. You can't sue us because you don't own the property. Right. It's like public domain, right? And so uh, Nintendo celebrates this monumental victory of uh, you know um, whether or not they were infringing on anybody's rights uh, for Donkey Kong by creating a character Kirby. Uh, a you know now you know historic character in video game lore, uh, and they created it after this this lawyer this this American lawyer, um, John Kirby, and I thought that was that's crazy, and it's it's little little details like that where uh, video game history really just kind of washes over you and is like holy crap this <laughs> this character that everybody knows whether or not you play you've played a kirby game or you you're a you're a, a student of video game history you know kirby you at least know who kirby is and uh seeing that come out of a a legal battle of um early nintendo history is it was pretty special so let's get to my favorite episode. So if you listen to the top five consoles episode, we'll just briefly, they get into, in 1983, the video game crash when uh, Atari was kind of, the Atari 2600 was huge, but all these games came out. There was no regulation on them. Anybody could program for the thing, and some of them were garbage, and we didn't have the internet. And so there's no way of knowing what you were buying was good or not. And it caused this video game crash in 1983. Well, they get into Nintendo and the history of the company and then building the Nintendo Entertainment System. And they spend a lot of time with um, the woman. So there's both Sega and uh, Nintendo kind of have this parallel story of the, the people who are in the region that sort of lead the marketing of the American marketing of these consoles, because if you don't know, the NES in Japan was called the Famicom, the family computer. 
and it wasn't sleek. It kind of looked weird. And so I can't remember her name, but this woman took over in America and it's basically, we have her to thank for all the changes she made to the console, to, to that gray box that uh, in the uh, show they say was inspired by the DeLorean, you know, and what a perfect thing to inspire it by. Uh, and just, I thought that was cool, but I want to really get into the point where they bring in Sega. And as everyone who listened knows, uh, Sega Genesis is my system. I love it. And they talked with the, the gentleman who ran Sega of America and the demands he gave uh, the Japanese market of Sega and saying, this is what you want this to be successful in America. Cause the Genesis had, I didn't know this had already been out for a good while and had like, eight percent of the market maybe you know like they didn't have much and um so he's like well we need to i can't i'm gonna forget one of the rules but the first one was like we need to lower the price uh the second one was we need to beat mario the third one is we need sports games yep the yeah fourth one is to be cool for teens and then the last one was make fun of nintendo <laughs> i thought I think that's them. <laughs> and so they lower the price. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Not much to talk about there. But then they talk about the creation of Sonic and the the kind of the guy got inspired by just going to theme parks and seeing roller coasters in America and just being inspired by that. Now, they didn't know what kind of animal they were going to be in there. They talked about they had a panda and they had uh some other, I don't remember all the ones, but all these other animals. And then eventually they got to the hedgehog and it just clicked. And, uh, I, I love that. Yeah. I rolled. Go ahead. No, I, I, um, you know, I, what I didn't know is cause I grew up with Sega. And so I'm a, you know, I'm a preteen when, when Sega's coming out. And so, um, Sega really, leaned in a whole lot to the hey we're just the we're the bad boys on the block um Mm -hmm. you know uh sonic the hedgehog he's just this guy this the character that has no rules and he's just a you know he's a rule breaker and he's he's geared towards uh you know uh adolescent teens that are you know fighting fighting the system and and you know Sega's partnership with MTV at the time, um, and, and I thought that was just a and I and I, I go back and I'm like, did I did, was I watching MTV at the time that Sega was really and 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 I I I try to think you know where was I at this time and and you know I wasn't I was probably what twelve years old when Sega was really coming and finding its own and. And, uh, you know, I remember playing Sonic, but I don't remember Sonic being this bad boy, you know, uh, right character. And, and I watching, watching these, this, uh, this documentary on Sega and, and seeing how, and I remember the, the, the mantra of the, the ad campaign, you know, the whole Sega, um, you know, where everybody was yelling out Sega. And, and, uh, I just, I, you know, I was struggling to remember, you know, I don't remember Sega being the, 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 the bad boy on the block, but I will say this, 
you knew that they were the real deal when Mortal Kombat came out. Oh. They talk about that here. Oh, for sure. And they get into the censorship board and, and uh, not to be political, but me wanting to punch Joseph Lieberman in the face. Like, and, and some of these, there's one guy even worse. Like, I really don't have anything against Joseph Lieberman, but I do have the problems with really old people who've never played a video game deciding whether or not we can play them or not. Right. And so that whole board of fogies and parents, uh, there was one guy who had the most epic comb over of all time talking about how disgusting these games are. I'm like, you didn't even play the game, you know. Like, <laughs> your your anyway. comb over is disgusting. Um, yeah. The, uh. <laughs> no, and and so transition to, um, you know, Sega fully leaned into, hey, you know, we're gonna market our system, our games to a more adult video game atmosphere, and so that led into the discussion of Mortal Kombat. Uh, you know, Mortal Kombat versus Street Fighter. You know, Street Fighter came before Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat leaned into, "Hey, we're gonna have real blood. We're gonna have, um, we're gonna have our characters perform these fatalities in game. And they're digitized, right? As opposed to cartoony. There's there's a parallel here. I, are you a wrestling guy? Have you ever watched professional wrestling at any point? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big wrestling fan, but I've I've watched. Okay, wrestling. well then I don't hear anything else. So uh, there's a parallel here <laughs> uh, that Mortal Kombat takes. Ah, never mind. I'm going to dump the wrestling thing because nobody cares but me. <laughs> but the whole idea is they're like we're going to do it differently than the Street Fighter. Like Street, so so many times people try to make the next big thing by doing it the same way, right? By saying, oh, they're Street Fighters, so let's just do the same thing. And Mortal Kombat says, no, we're going to do it as different as we can. We're going to have digitized characters, violence, you know, know, and and, and so no one's going to mistake our game for a Street Fighter clone. And uh, the point I was going to make in wrestling in the 90s, there was WWF at the time, and they had this kid-friendly content, and WCW said, well, we're just going to do everything the opposite way all your characters have fake names ours are going to use the real names da, 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 da. but creatively i think that's what people uh is best you know like um if you want to make a game in a genre think what you can do differently and i think now we have mortal Kombat, which is a great series and actually in this day and age may be considered more successful than street fighter um because of where it is now just talking about this generation because street fighter x and 11 are all great games not street fighter sorry mortal Kombat x and 11 are all great games but street fighter 5 or whichever the last one was has been panned pretty much because it it's a half-baked game so it's kind of like full circle almost yeah and i think i think you know um and i think it was episode five of this documentary that really you know, painted fighting games as the future of, of, uh, there was a, a, a niche for fighting games then, and there still is now, but like Street Fighter has, has been, has, in my opinion, been dead for a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, recent video gaming. And Mortal Kombat has kind of carried the, the, the fighting genre, um, through, this current 
gaming. Well, I would say yes. Also, uh, but I honestly think the most popular fighting game in the world right now is Smash Brothers. Oh, true. Uh, especially if you look at a, a competitive level. Um, like that's always the big one. Street Fighter is still there and heavily represented. And then you get my area, the games I love were like Soul Calibur and Tekken. I loved the Namco fighters. Right. Um, but I agree. Like to me, people don't, I mean, get excited about Street Fighter anymore, but Mortal Kombat, a lot of people love that new, the new ones and good on them. Yeah, no, they had a, they had some time in the middle there where, at, like Mortal Kombat Four and beyond, where it was like, "What are you guys doing?" Right. And now they're back. Yeah, and so this, uh, this this docu series touches on the the origins of uh, of these fighting games, and I one thing I didn't realize, and and I I probably knew it in the back of my back of my brain, but that never really thought about was that. Um, you know the the makers of Mortal Kombat originally wanted Jean Claude Van Damme to be their. Oh my gosh! Yeah they they wanted they wanted I wanted that <laughs> they wanted Van Damme to be their 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 you know face of they wanted face him to of be the Johnny game. Cage right and so they, we wouldn't like they literally wanted Jean Claude Van Damme to play himself in Mortal Kombat yeah, because of Bloodsport. Um, and that would have blown my mind because I love Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, like, who did that era? Who did it? I loved him, <laughs> and then you're telling me I can get a video game with Jean Claude Van Damme where I can control him, things. right? Oh God, I can control him doing doing the 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 patented Jean Claude Van Damme split and into the crotch punch. Oh yeah. Ah! Oh, listen. And so, you know, and so they, you know, the makers of Mortal Kombat, they, they, they approach Jean-Claude Van Damme, they're like, hey, we want you to be the face of our game and all this, and Jean-Claude Van Damme politely declines. And so, yeah. and so they're like, they're like, oh, wait a minute, now we gotta go back to the drawing board, so we'll just make a character that kind of looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme, he has Jean-Claude Van Damme's moves, but he's not he's Jean a movie star, right? He's not Jean Claude Van Damme, and I think that was probably, you know, one of the biggest non-commitments in video game history, where you have a character that resembles a movie star, but isn't the movie star, but has all the same character traits, and you know, we're talking about Johnny Cage here, and in the Mortal Kombat, you know, batting order of characters. And, you know, it's just one of those things where it's one of those nuances that never really comes up, but you're like, wow, you know, I really see the parallels. And now knowing the backstory well, even behind to the point it. When they were making the movie, it was like, they need to get Van Damme to play Cage, not right. knowing this. Right. You know, I was like, he's the only guy. It's Van Damme, basically. Right. And, so. and that, that was, that was, that blew my mind that they had actually approached Van Damme and wanted him to play this character. And then he declined. It was like, well, okay, we'll just, We'll make our character make you anyway, right? Well, it'll be Van Damme, but his name his name is Johnny Cage. 
Now, if if anybody listening doesn't know who Jean-Claude Van Damme is, you need to educate yourself. You need to watch Bloodsport and Kickboxer. Start there. Also, Universal Soldier is excellent. Do you want to add one? Uh, no. There's, so, there's so many Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, films. Jean-Claude Van Damme is... He is Sudden Death, the hockey one. Hard uh, Target. I think I think kick, Kickboxer and Bloodsport are the two. Uh, well, Bloodsport's there i mean he's bloodsport is the or the origins for the inspiration for johnny cage's character uh right that the the docuseries pretty much says that um yeah and so i think if you go back and watch those films kickboxer and bloodsport you'll see and then you play a uh an original mortal Kombat game you'll see the parallels there it, there is no other there's no other parallel that can be made behind, um, you know, Van Damme's inspiration for Mortal Kombat. Now, if you don't want to watch a full movie to find out who Van Damme is, go to YouTube, type in Jean-Claude Van Damme and the word Volvo, like the car, V-O-L-V-O. <laughs> yeah. And probably the first uh, option should be what you watch. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, absolutely. I've I've seen oh, the I've, most epic of splits. Yeah, no. Van Damme is the master. He, you want to start a uh, Jean Claude Van Damme podcast? Because <laughs> I, I I love the guy. It'll I, it'll be Budget Arcade Van Damme. We talk about everything. No, Scott would not be okay with that. We'd have to make our own feed. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I do want to talk about one other uh, quick story they tell there's a lot of stories here but they talk a bit about esports and how it's becoming a thing and how it was scoffed at in a lot of ways like i've seen <laughs> one of my i was watching i like one of the hbo sports shows and there did like a piece on esports where we're filling out these huge arenas and they cut back to the panel at the in the office they're all befuddled that people want to watch people play video games. And I'm like, well, who the hell are you? You're sitting around watching other people exercise. I love sports. I love football. But it's not any different. You're not doing the football. You know what I mean? You're watching someone else be athletic while you sit on your couch. You're not any better. But um, they get into several competitions, and then they get into the Nintendo World Championships, and there's this young kid. You know, he's playing, and he's getting good. And, you know, his parents take him to a tournament and he does pretty well. And like the thing that got me about this as a parent is like they see that their son is enjoying them himself. He's having fun. And hey, he might be really good at this. Right, right. And he wants to do it. Let's support him. And so they take him to the gaming thing and he ends up winning the Nintendo World Championships. And in the, the they, they had the gentleman there, obviously an adult now talking about it and he's like my mom was so proud of me she was as proud of me if if i won like the super bowl or <laughs> whatever and my parents they just were like giddy for me and they show uh some footage of the parents in the audience when he's playing and there's something about it just got to me as like uh, allowing your kids to have their own dreams and to sport it whether you understand it or not and you know and i think uh Ah, it just got to me. It touched yeah, me, no, and I liked it. Yeah, um, that one hundred percent. I was in the same boat. Is that um, back in the 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 early nineties when gaming was really becoming 
uh, a thing. Video games were slowly, and maybe not slowly, but uh, breeding their way into um, households. You were no longer having to go to an arcade mm-hmm. um, to to play video games, and and that's that's where I grew up. That's where I grew up. I grew up in the transition between arcade gaming and and home console, and you know I remember I remember getting my first console. My I, and I remember it was it was the uh, the NES. I remember um, getting mm-hmm. it for Christmas, and I remember playing Super Mario. And, mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, hooking it up to the TV and just playing for hours on end, just trying to make it to the next level. And, and, you know, there were, there were no save mechanics back in, back in those days. There was just, you know, hey, you ran from point A to point B and, and see how far we could get from point A to point B. And, uh, you know, so watching these kids, and tell and and hearing their stories of hey I participated in the you know Nintendo World Championships or the 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 Sega um you know t- time trials or whatever it was you know I remember I remember those days I and mm-hmm. and, and I so I think this this whole docu series is if is 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 a nostalgic you know time warp of you know those individuals like myself you. And whoever else is listening that grew up in this time era that that said, "Hey, um, you know, watch watch our watch our documentary, and and be be uh, participate with us in this in this uh, this time warp of um, video games golden age." And uh-huh. and that that's that's what got me with this whole thing. And and while you know. Uh, it's six episodes long and and some episodes are more nostalgic than others but as a as a as a whole man if you if you want to if you want to transport yourself back to when video games were just all the rage and and everybody was trying to one up each other um you know with with new ideas man this this documentary was it, it that that's what this documentary did for me yeah. And it showed me too, like the, where inspiration come from. I think if you don't play indie games, like if you're someone who only plays the AAA titles, I think you're missing out. And I think in indie games is where that innovation is going to come from that we saw from guys like Miyamoto in the eighties. Yeah. Um, the people who aren't under a corporate deadline, that are allowed to just be creative and make what they want to make. I think you definitely need to like check out some indies um, to see that there. Well, I think, uh, the other uh, thing, wait, hold on, let me, so, and you talk about indie games and I think the original indie game was where, uh, and it touches on, on the idea in the first episode of this documentary is the enhancement kits. Uh, for th- oh, I did want to talk about yeah. Yeah, I for- had no idea these existed. This right, I didn't either. To me, <laughs> and so so um, it's the original mod. Yeah, right. But that but that's that's the the indie platform birth. You know mm-hmm. where these guys said, "Hey, we can take this game, but we can improve on it, and we can make something new and exciting." And we can sell it, and we can market it, and we can create a niche video game 
atmosphere, you know, in the corner of our arcade by improving and in, and modifying an original title. And I just think that's that was the the birth of indie gaming, at least in my opinion. Is and be- what was cool for me in that was that I, I, I just said at the beginning, I prefer Miss Pac-Man. And these these guys in a garage making these kits to alter the original Pac-Man uh, eventually just came on board and made Miss Pac-Man. Yeah. And I think you can look at Nintendo today and see that it's a very different company than it used to be, where now they're shutting down a lot of fan sites, you know, like, uh, you know, they shut down, there was a, a Metroid 2 remake, they shut that down. And because they had their own remake coming and instead of maybe bringing these people on where if you look at Sega, who granted is a lot smaller of a company and nowhere near as successful nowadays, but they had someone make a fan game of Sonic and said, you know what, why don't you make that fan game for us? They called it Sonic Mania and that game's amazing. And I, I just wish we could see more of that, but just kind of piggybacking off my own point about companies changing if you want to know what EA was before they were corporate suits making microtransactions in games, you can go on the Sega Genesis episode when they talk about the birth of EA Sports and how it was just people who really liked sports and they made games. And, you know, obviously there was leadership changes since then and it's become what it is now where it's been voted the most hated company in America back-to-back years recently. Um and it just kind of shows where the passion leaves and uh yeah. you know and you get the stagnation and well you know so the um so i think it's episode 4 uh, i go back to my notes on on this and it's uh, it's episode 4 is where they they really dive into the sega and ea sports um you know venture and ea sport you know sega so ea sports and sega really go hand in hand and uh, it's because Sega wanted to, they wanted to promote, hey, we we are a video game company that is marketing ourselves to the sports fan, um, you know, by the original Madden, Madden football. And they even go, they dive very, you know, deep into, you know, how they, they, they marketed their video game to Madden and said, mm-hmm. hey, um, and they even go as far as to say we really we originally wanted it to be seven on seven football, but Madden, you know, John Madden himself told us, well, that's not real football. You have to have a le- put his foot down, right? I'm yeah. not going to do it if you don't do eleven, right? Eleven, eleven, mm-hmm. right? Yay. And so, so that that by John Madden putting his foot foot down on, hey, it's not real football unless you have eleven people playing eleven people. Um, that really forced. Uh, Sega and EA to completely dive into the hey we we need we actually need to have a revolution in this game so 11 people can be doing 11 different things on the screen at once and mm-hmm. and and that to me that was fascinating is because I didn't know that I didn't know that that mm-hmm. that John Madden inadvertently evolved video games in that in that in that time to become more than what we had just been playing as a as a platform video game um mm-hmm. 
and I thought that was that was fascinating. And that's what this show, that's what this docu series really does well, is that they they take these little these little known factoids and they really dive in on them, and they completely shed new light on video game history that you wouldn't know without this. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, it, I I think you could tell by the way Mark's talking. I certainly recommend the series if you have a Netflix account. Check it out, especially if you don't know a lot about the history. Uh, there's a lot to learn, and if you do think you know a lot, um, there's a lot to learn. Like I, there's a lot to learn still. <laughs> right. like I saw so many things that was like I did not know that. Yep. That's so interesting. The Star Fox thing blew me away. Nope. I didn't know that it was some guys in a closet modding Game Boys. That gave us Star Fox, right. you know, and uh, so I definitely recommend. This. Now, you know, so, and I, th- I feel like we'd be doing a, a, an injustice review if we didn't say that the, it's not perfect. You know, the series it's six episodes and it doesn't touch on the entire history of gaming. Um, you know, the the last episode where it touches on Star Fox, it doesn't. We don't we don't get into the modern um, mm-hmm. video game history where Microsoft and Sony you know, dive in and completely revamp things. So I, I think there is room for improvement, but man, this, this series is such a ground, uh, uh, you know, it it lays the groundwork for, you know, uh, another, another season of Mm -hmm. this, of of high score, you know, I hope, I hope they, I hope they make a a season two of high score where it touches on those things. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, that I think this is a good place to end, though, because really it's Sega versus Nintendo, right? right. And, and at the time, even though Nintendo's kind of a, a sports company, they, they have other side things. They do, like, toys, and they have these side things. But generally, Nintendo and Sega are gaming companies, right? And then in the next generation, you have Microsoft and Sony insert themselves, and the landscape of gaming changes, from being gaming companies to being big corporate bruisers, you know, like right. heavy hitters now in this market. Um, and who, you know, who knows where gaming would be if that didn't happen and it was just Sega and Nintendo battling out for years. I don't know, but there's definitely a lot to talk about there. Um, should they make a season two? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this is budget arcade. Uh, we are here every other, every Tuesday uh, with something uh, this Coming Tuesday, we are playing Archer. What is it? Uh, Danger phone. Bad fo- Danger phone. It's a terrible. It's, a, it's a terrible game. Yeah, it's it sucks. Uh, <laughs> but be sure to check that out next week. But until then, you can find us on our website budgetarcade.com, Twitter and Instagram at budgetarcade, and facebook.com slash budgetarcade. You can get some of our merch at hotkeygaming.com slash budget hyphen arcade. Be sure to use promo code butt biscuits. Uh, there's another. Th- oh, our music is by Stimmage. You can find his music on MetroidMetal.com. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Podcast Network. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.